Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. There was a famous campaign slogan used in the 1992 American presidential race, which went like this. The economy, stupid. It was coined by a man named James Carville, who was one of Bill Clinton's advisers in his campaign against George Bush I. It worked a treat. George Bush had been incredibly popular as president after the war in Kuwait in 1991. But Bill Clinton, backed by Carville's strategizing, used that phrase so often during the 1992 campaign, so much so that he was able to turn around George Bush's 90% approval rating in March of 1991 to a 64% disapproval rate by August of 1992, just as the presidential election campaign uh, was starting to get serious. America was in recession at the time. Many households were hurting. And by promising to improve the economy and making it the primary issue of the campaign, Bill Clinton won the election comfortably. So the phrase, the economy, stupid, can now officially become the catch cry of our election campaign this year after yesterday's fiscal update. To use a a not very technical economic saying, this country is in the crap. The fiscal deficit is now the second largest of all the developed economies in the world. Core crown debt is $160 billion, or 123000 per household of four people. Most astonishingly, the government is spending more money than ever before, even now. More now than at the height of the COVID crisis. The interest bill alone will be just shy of $10 billion a year by 2027, just four years away. Frankly, there is only one thing to do. The government has to slash spending and to make its necessary spending far more efficient. At least we know the state of the books. There is no coming back, no coming back for a Labour-led government after this, is there? National and ACT have to get really serious about where they can save money when they presumably take power after the 14th of October. Uh, David Seymour's figurative blowing up of a few ministries should be just the start. You see, when households run out of money, they stop spending and try to repay debt. Governments running countries should do the same. There might be pain, but this government and this finance minister has forced it on us. When it comes to how you vote in a few weeks, you know, it will pay to think about the big issue. The big issue is the economy, stupid. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, can you believe the latest immigration statistics? It's like, uh, oh, I don't know, a city the size of Palmerston North just arriving to live in this country in the last year. It's absolutely staggering, isn't it? Yet the commentators seem to be enthusiastic about the stimulus it can be for the economy. There are an extra nearly 100,000 people living in the country now compared to the end of July last year. 
Yes, this is going to help the labour shortage and it will stimulate the economy. My issue is, where are they going to live? Where are their kids going to school? Will they be able to see a doctor? And how many more cars will they put on the crowded roads of Auckland? In other words, do we have the infrastructure and the facilities and the services to cope with another 96,200 people living in this country in the last year? Frankly, I think the answer is no, but they are here. They've come mainly from India, the Philippines, China, South Africa and Fiji. And they're looking for work and for a place to live. The actual number of new arrivals coming here long term was 135,600. But 39,400 New Zealand citizens left the country. That's a worry, isn't it? The Stats NZ press release on the matter tried to hide what I think is an explosion in the New Zealand population growth. It said rather quaintly that we had a net gain of 19 people per thousand of population, which is a long-winded way of saying the population grew by just under 2% in a year. I'm sorry, but that number is unsustainable. We are not building new hospitals. We are building some new schools very slowly, and we are building roads even more slowly. Shouldn't we be worried about this rate of growth? What happened to so-called sustainable levels of immigration promised by this government? What I would like to know is the education levels of these new immigrants. Will they bolster the number of health professionals? Will there be more IT experts? Do you actually realise that the skilled migrant category is closed at the moment? Or are those coming here from the Philippines uh, coming to still mainly do relatively low-wage jobs like working in rest homes or on dairy farms? And how many of these 96,200 are family members, including elderly parents of adult migrants? The numbers say we are still an attractive place to live, but we have to make sure that those that come here can lead a life without the services they need being overcrowded. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio members and join now. The separatist health system came to the fore again yesterday. A new cervical cancer screening program has started whereby women don't need to have a smear test, if they'd rather not, but they can self-test by doing their own vaginal swab. Uh, by the way, the information website, uh, which is timetoscreen.nz, very helpfully describes who is eligible for cervical cancer screening. Apparently, screening is available for women and people with a cervix. I don't actually know anybody with a cervix who is not a woman, but then... I might have missed that particular biology class. Anyway, the website then goes on to describe how the screening service is not fully funded by the government, which is quite extraordinary considering that one woman is diagnosed with cervical cancer every second day. And if discovered early enough, the disease is curable. But even though it is not fully funded, there is no cost uh, to have a test if you are a Maori or Pacific woman, if you haven't had a test in the last five years, or if you have a community services card. 
The reason given for Māori women not having to pay and non-Māori who don't otherwise qualify paying between $40 and $60 for this test is that there is increased incidence and mortality from cervical cancer for Māori women compared to non-Māori women. But the evidence also says that Māori women as a population are less likely to attend regular screening. In fact, a research paper from as far back as 2006 said only 46% of Māori women were screened, which might account for the increased incidence and mortality through this disease. So yes, there is a statistical difference between Māori and non-Māori women when it comes to the incidence of cervical cancer, but you know, even with my limited knowledge of biology, I doubt it has anything to do with genetics or ethnicity, but rather the fact that they haven't tested regularly. So in that respect, the idea of fully funded testing for Māori is worthwhile. But what about non-Māori women who do not have a community services card and who might just find that $60 is a cost too far for a voluntary testing procedure. It has been found that the major influences on health outcomes in this country are not to do with ethnicity, but with one's environment, lifestyle and income. Here's an example. Why should a high-income earning Māori woman lawyer, say, get free access to cervical testing and a similarly well-paid non-Māori woman lawyer have to pay for the same service. It is not fair and reasonable in this country where everybody supposedly has equal rights to social and medical services. Access to cervical screening should be fully funded anyway, but if it is to be paid for by some women, Owenda and other people with a cervix as well, uh, don't discriminate access to the service based on ethnicity. Do it based on income and on circumstances. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even better, if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Well, the preview yesterday, the pre-election fiscal update, says we have a major deficit problem. To cut the deficit, frankly, the government has to stop spending as much. That means all government departments should start to get really serious about their spending, and that means all, all of their spending. And that includes $75 Prezi cards given to people just for going to public meetings. Yes, that is the extraordinary revelation from Hawke's Bay, where the Ministry of Justice held a meeting to reimagine the district and family court in the area. Now, on the surface, the concept probably isn't a bad idea, although the Justice Chief Operating Officer, Carl Crafer, is talking pretty airy-fairy bureaucratic language 
with his comments describing the meeting. There is, he said, a vision for the district court, which is a journey towards a more enlightened justice system. This is in response to repeated calls for transformative change. It involved the mainstreaming of best practice approaches from solution-focused and therapeutic courts to improve the court experience for all users, he said. I think that means they just want to have little thugs get off with a slap on the hand and a wet bus ticket and a stern talking to. Anyway, the thing about the meetings is that everybody who went was given a $75 Prezi card to help with travel costs and to acknowledge their time and contributions to the meetings. And according to the reporter at the meeting, at least one of the attendees getting the 75 bucks is currently on bail, facing charges of assault, including wounding with intent. Jeez, I mean, how much more of this do we have to put up with? The meeting is fine, but paying people to attend? Really? Frankly, we can't keep up this nonsensical throwing around of money. If people want to contribute to society voluntarily with ideas on justice policy, let them volunteer. It's the same with health initiatives. Provide the service. Provide the opportunity get people to show some personal responsibility. Stop the giveaway. Stop the stupid little incentives. We cannot afford them anymore. We've got some exciting news right out of the RCR oven. We have our very own mobile app coming out soon. It's currently in testing, and it will shortly be available to download from the app stores, both iOS and Android. Thank you all for being so patient while we've been working hard behind the scenes. Our test bunnies have had a wee play on the test version, and they just know you're going to love it. Our video guy Henry has put together a little video to show you all what's in store. You can check that out at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. some of your correspondence received through inbox at realitycheck.radio. This comes from an anonymous correspondent. She has requested that we do not give out her name, and when you hear her story, you might understand why. Peter, I am a founding member of RCR and a teacher who was mandated out of work. Let's not discuss the Prime Minister's disgusting comment about the vaccine being a choice. However, a recent deplorable event happened to my father-in-law. I listened to RCR, so I wanted to share it with you because I've always liked you and totally respect your integrity. So here goes. Last month, my 84-year-old father-in-law presented with stroke-like conditions. He couldn't talk, he couldn't move, he was going in and out of consciousness and there was no eye contact. An ambulance was rung twice. When it still didn't show, his sons carried him to the car to take him down to the small local hospital. Just as they were about to drive off, the ambulance finally arrived. He was diagnosed with a bladder infection, but taken to Waikato for further investigation. At nine o'clock that night, he was removed from his ward, from his bed, so a young Maori man who walked into the hospital could have his place in the ward. My 84-year-old father-in-law, who had arrived by ambulance, had to spend the night in the corridor under the lights with all his belongings on the floor behind his head. Needless to say, he didn't have much sleep. 
Disgusting. Please keep my name anonymous if you read this out. If that is true, uh, dear dear correspondent, uh, well, what can you say? It's just appalling, but I guess not untypical of what is happening in our hospitals at the moment. Uh, this has come in from another anonymous texter through uh, 2057. Love your style and thoughts, Peter, plus great tunes. Wish you were on five days a week. Uh, dear texter, I'm trying, I'm trying to not work at all. I'm nearly 70 years of age. I'm supposed to be retired. I don't want to be working, but I'm here because I believe in the cause. Uh, here's something in response to the uh, interview with uh, Elwyn Poole a few days ago. Uh, Elwyn is very generous in his assessments of various key players. I don't feel so gracious, writes uh, Mike or Liz Carter. On Facebook, uh, in follow-up to the Bob McCoskery interview from last week, praying that Family First will regain their charitable status after this election, I always regard it as a Christian-based, truth-seeking platform. New Zealanders ought to be very grateful to Bob for his leadership and common-sense contributions during this woke cultural crisis. We all owe him great debt. Someone suggested he should be knighted. Uh, thank you for that. Charmaine. Charmaine has uh, written that. I can tell you for free that Bob McCoskery will not be knighted while this current Labour regime is in power. Maybe a change of government will see him honoured, although I wouldn't hold my breath for it like I wouldn't hold my breath for Family First regaining its charitable status. Thank you for your correspondence inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text number is 2057, or you can find us on Facebook. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, you often hear about weird stuff at local councils. It's particularly weird, it seems, in the South. Gore seems to have finally sorted itself out. The chief executive has resigned there. The mayor stood his ground. Invercargill had to have a by-election because a councillor acted in an inappropriate way towards one of his female staff. It was in his proper job, not on council duty. But he was pressured into resigning. Now the malaise has spread to Dunedin. It started with the chairman of a community board in the country racially insulting a waitress at the pub. He was not on council or community board duty. The mayor of Dunedin, Jules Radich, downplayed it in a radio interview before apologising for that downplaying. The deputy mayor, though, resigned her position over what she said was the mayor's attitude of trivialising the racial abuse. Another councillor accused the former deputy mayor of politicking and making an early bid to be the next mayor. Now the former deputy mayor has made a code of conduct complaint against the councillor who accused her of politicking. Are you trying to keep up? I'm not surprised. I am too. The nonsense has spread from the community board chair to the mayor, to the deputy mayor, now to a councillor. That's four layers of complaints and investigations, all of which cost time and ratepayers money. And these people are adults. Along the way, the chair of the community board had the chief executive of the company he works for make a special trip south to see him to tell him his behaviour was unacceptable, despite it happening at a time and a place which was unrelated to his work 
selling tractors. Anyway, it is a soap opera that fills space on the Otago Daily Times front page day after day after day at the moment, always with a call for someone's resignation. So far, the only one who has resigned a role is the deputy mayor or the former deputy mayor, but she is still a councillor. And you wonder why voters cannot take local body politics seriously. Please indulge me right now with a feel-good story about the game that I love playing and which I think is, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest game, the greatest sport ever invented for the benefit of man and womankind. It is the game of golf. It's been a part of my life for 56 of my 69 years. It will always be a part of my life until I can no longer stand upright. Sometimes I was moderately good at playing it, mostly though I'm just an average Joe hacker. But it's a game that can change your life because of the personal skills required to be good at it, keeping a calm mind, never panicking, thinking strategically, gaining the respect and learning to enjoy the company of the people you play with and against, all of those things. And there is just the immense physical satisfaction to be gained feeling the sweet spot of the driver hitting the golf ball flush and sending it more than 200 metres into the distance. And I could wax on lyrically for ages about the benefits of the game. That's why the story of an autistic kid from a small and poor Eastern Bay of Plenty town is so heartwarming. His name is Bailey Tipa Taro from Taniatua. He has been so socially dysfunctional because of his autism that he spent most of his time at school under his desk, not speaking. But somebody had the good sense to put some golf clubs in his hand. Something clicked. Despite his condition, he has the necessary motor skills and the hand-eye coordination to hit the golf ball and play the game competently. He had played just three times, though, before he went to this huge intermediate school sports competition along the road in Tauranga, the Ames Games. He was in the part of the competition for learners and was given a generous handicap to reflect his inexperience. But he won, and he won easily. He scored 87 stablefoot points over a total of 27 holes, three lots of nine holes. A golfer having a good day, mind you, playing to his or her handicap will score two points a hole. So if Bailey had scored 54 points over 27 holes, he would have done really well. But he scored 87 points, which is frankly phenomenal and suggests he's a lot better than the handicap he was allocated. I looked up his actual gross or off-the-stick scores, which is an actual reflection of how well he played, and he'd taken between 46 and 48 strokes for each lot of the nine holes that he played in just his fourth, fifth and sixth games of golf ever. That's fantastic. That shows absolute promise. And he's someone considered to have a disability. You know, I'm really glad that Bailey has found golf. Even better is that golf has found Bailey because I reckon they will be very good for each other. We've got some exciting news right out of the RCR oven. We have our very own mobile app coming out soon. It's currently in testing and it will shortly be available to download from the app stores, both iOS and Android. Thank you all for being so patient while we've been working hard behind the scenes. 
Our test bunnies have had a wee play on the test version and they just know you're going to love it. Our video guy Henry has put together a little video to show you all what's in store. You can check that out at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show here on Reality Check Radio. If you'd like to get in touch, my address is inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text is 2057, or you can find us on Facebook. Search for Reality Check Radio. I look forward to talking with you again on Friday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.